Our text is Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to be looking in verses 32 through 37. And before we even begin, I want to tell you about a missionary. His name was Herbert Jackson. Let me tell you about Herbert Jackson. He had a car that uh, would not start. The only way he could get this started, it was a stick shift car. The only way he could get it going is to get it pushed and pop the clutch. He did that for two years. He always parked either on a hill or he would park in a place where somebody can give him a push or he would park and just leave the car running. For two years he did this. But finally his health was such a problem that Herbert Jackson had to leave the field, had to go back home to America. And a missionary came and replaced him. And he's sitting down with the missionary. Now I want you to hear this because this is going to guide us through this sermon today. The missionary that came to replace him, he's walking him through the whole uh, starting up the car exercise of what you have to do. And the, the new missionary said, Herbert, can I, can I look under the hood for a second? He pops the hood. He finds a cable that was loose. He says, I think this is your problem. He tightened up the cable and he got in the car and turned the ignition and it started right up. All that time, Herbert Jackson is pushing that car, popping the clutch, leaving it running all the time. It was just a loose connection, robbing him of the power to be able to start that car. Now listen, I want you to think about that for a minute. Do you know that for many of us, even here right now, Now listen, you be honest, I have to be honest too. For many of us, even right now, the lack of a deep and intimate prayer life is that loose connection. And it is robbing you, it can rob me of spiritual power, of effective service to God in our lives. Now, so let, let me let me ask you today, let me ask you right now to just think with me, just courageously look in and ask yourself, do you have a deep, intimate prayer life with God, the Savior of the universe? You know, we've been looking at four direction praying from Nehemiah 9, and we've seen two of the four directions. And direction one, if you remember this, direction number one was look up and exalt the perfection and the attributes of God. And you do that with hearts that are fixed on Him. And remember that. Now listen, you gotta look at me. You gotta remember this. We're reviewing. We're gonna, we're gonna use this as momentum to get into this sermon, this sermon. So we're looking up. And we're looking at the attributes of God. And then we're looking back. And we're seeing that though we have been unfaithful. Have you been unfaithful? Though we've been unfaithful, God has been gracious. God has been merciful to us. He's been working to change us, to become like Jesus Christ. Aren't you, aren't you glad that God works in us to make us like Christ? But then you get to verse 32. Now, if you got your Bibles, you want to look there and you're going to see a verse, the first word there. It's going to be your clue. The direction changes again. We've been looking up, we've been looking back. Now we're going to be looking in a third direction. We're looking in to our own present circumstances. Now let me ask you today this question. Can you look at me for a moment? I really want you to be 
as honest with the Lord as you possibly can. Are you in a difficult circumstance right now? Are you going through a trial right now? As we begin this sermon, as we begin looking in, I want you to remember, we've been looking up, we've seen how gracious God is, how sovereign God is, how powerful God is. We've looked back and we've seen our failures, yet through our failures we've seen the fingerprints of God's mercy in our lives. Our lives are never as bad as they could have been. God is that good. And as you're looking in and you're looking at your difficult circumstances, you're looking at your suffering right now, the times of difficulty that right now you're going through, I want you to remember, hold on to that God, hold on to His mercy, and let's look in and let's see what God is saying for us. See, the book of Nehemiah, friends, is about rebuilding broken lives which have fallen into disrepair. Let me, let me give you some examples and see if this doesn't capture some of you today. Have, have those mistakes that you've made in your life, those sins, those times of unfaithfulness, have they created a mess in your life? Are you in financial ruin today? And you can no longer see a way out of it. Have you, as Pastor Matthew taught us last week, have you drifted away from God? Maybe your marriage is in trouble and maybe the grind of just enduring it is making you wonder, can I make it to the end? Or are we going to end in divorce? Maybe that's your difficult circumstance. Maybe you're so caught up in an addiction that you've given up on gaining freedom from. You know, I talked to somebody just recently who is so beaten down and his dreams are so crushed year after year, 20 years, he's been holding on to a dream and it's not yet become reality. And he's wondering, is God crushing me? Has God abandoned me? See, almost all of those situations that I just mentioned, they're shared by God's people in Nehemiah chapter 9. So how do you look in, how do we look in at our circumstances through prayer and listen, reconnect to the power of God? Let me give you four principles and I want you to see if you can either write them down or at least try to remember at least two of these. Here's the first one. Look in with confidence. You look in with confidence. Now, you have your Bibles, right? You brought your Bibles. Let's look at verse 32. Let's be the people of God's word. Verse 32. Let's read it. I'm going to read it. You follow along. Verse 32. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. That's going to be very difficult. <laughs> Let me encourage you, if you haven't checked out our nursery, we have an excellent nursery. I've just made myself the most unpopular pastor in the entire universe. 
The shift is noticeable now. You see the word right at the beginning. Now, therefore, our God. They're moving from the past. They're moving to the present. But I want you to notice how they look at their circumstances through the lens of faith. Look what it says. Our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Their God is great. Their God is mighty. Their God is awesome. Listen, they are slaves. They're slaves. They're slaves in their own land. They have come through decades of ruin and exile and shame and distress. Yet they grab their minds. They hold their minds to this truth. Our great God is awesome. Now listen, look at your circumstances. You're going through difficult times. Your mind can hold on. Yes, my life is difficult right now, but my God is great. See, what they're doing is they're tightening the connection to the power of God. Those attributes are who God is. They affirm that through, they, they affirm them through what God does. Look what he says. He keeps covenant and steadfast love. God keeps covenant and steadfast love. He guards his promises to them. You ever had somebody that you love break their promise? Let's just raise your hand if that's happened to you. Have you ever had somebody that you love break their promise? All right, so let's put your hand down. Let me ask you the question from a direction the other way. You ever broken your promise to somebody you love? God guards his promises. He loves them even when they're not faithful. See, friends, as we are shifting to looking in and seeing the difficulty of our trials and our situations. We, we affirm our mighty, faithful God who keeps his promises to us. It's this confidence in their God's love which moves them to ask for help. Look what, he's, look, look what they say in verse 32. By the way, this is amazing. We're 32 verses into this prayer. This is the one and only time they ask God for anything. By the way, you want to do something amazing this week? Who wants to take this challenge? Find a time to pray this week. Don't ask for a single thing. Just lift up God. Just reflect on the awesomeness of God. And find out how difficult that really is. When I try to do that, I'm about three sentences in and every part of me wants to ask God for something. It's very difficult to do that. Let me encourage you, try to do that this week. We're at verse 32. Here's the first time they ask God for anything. And here's what they say. Let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us. How simple. How honest they are in this one and only request. When our sin or when another person's sin brings us suffering, it is so natural to wonder, God, do you even love us? Do you even love me? Friends, listen, pray honestly to God. How amazing this is to me. How often I need to remind Christians, just pray honestly. He knows everything in your heart. He won't be shocked by anything. Listen, if you doubt his love, tell him. If you're angry with God, confess it to him. Pour out your heart to God. Don't curse him. Don't pray irreverently. Pray honestly. 
But when we truly understand how faithful God's love and his mercy is for us, you know what it does? Listen, it takes erasing hearts that are desperate. And it begins to shift them in quiet trust and confidence. So we look up, we exalt God's perfections. We look back and we see his faithful, merciful fingerprints alongside our failures. And we look in with the power of confidence, the hope that he will continue to be faithful to us. So that's principle number one. Look in with confidence. Your God loves you. By the way, Christian friends, let me ask you a question. Do you really, honestly, remember, be honest, be courageous. Do you really believe God loves you? I know you know it here, but is it here and is it setting you free? Has it given you confidence to come before God and say, God, I am struggling and I know you care. And it moves us to the second principle. Look in, we're looking in. Through the gospel. Now listen, you're going to sometimes go to eat a meal and you're going to have soup. And you get to use a spoon. But how many of you, and probably not every hand's going to go up, how many of you prefer steak? That's it? I mean, how many are meat lovers in here? Alright. And when you get to meat, your spoon's not going to do a lot of good. You're going to need a knife and you're going to need a fork. Now listen, right now you're going to need a knife and a fork. I'm not giving you milk anymore tonight. Listen, that first principle, that's pretty easy. You look in and you, you gain confidence. God loves you. Listen, we're going to head into the meat now, so you've got to be ready. You've got to get the knife out and you've got to get the fork out. Let's read it. Verse 33. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully. Can you affirm this truth in your life, friends? No matter what has happened in your life, God has been righteous and God has been faithful to you. Can you affirm that? How about those times where it seems that he dropped the ball? How about those times when people did terrible things to you? I've got a guy that I love very, very much whose boss is doing everything he can to get him fired. Even in those times, can you affirm that God is righteous and God is faithful? You see, affirming God's righteous actions, it connects us to the power of biblical confidence. God is righteous. But what does that mean? Now, here's the meat. Here's the fork. Here's the knife. You ready? God's righteousness means that he always acts consistently with his nature. He does what is right. That's not us. God always acts in a way that is perfectly in accord, in harmony, consistent with his nature. He always does what is right. That's what it means to be righteous. It's the perfect union between who God is and what God does. You want to know what righteousness means? It means that who God is is what God does. Always, never, without an, with an exception. His righteousness means that he has always been faithful, listen, to himself. That's what it means. He's been faithful to himself. 
You see, we let ourselves down. We say to ourselves, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I made that mistake. I can't believe I committed that sin. God never has to say that. He is perpetually, he is eternally, he is always faithful to himself in everything that he does. Are you ready? We're going to go down a layer. Now you're with me? He's faithful at everything he does is always who he is. Let's go down a layer. There's more about this word righteous. It's the same word in the Bible as justice. If you're going to say God is righteous, listen, you can say that he's just. And if you speak of God's justice, then you're speaking of his righteousness. And God always does what is right. And what he does is always perfectly just. Look how Deuteronomy 32 brings it out. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness. And without iniquity, without sin, just and upright is he. You see, we look up in prayer to exalt our great and mighty God. We look back to see his mercy all through our worst mistakes. We look in and we re-examine our situations, our circumstances that we're struggling with. And we remember verse 33. Here it is. He's been righteous in all that has come upon us for you have dealt faithfully. You see, accusations... Of God being unfair, of not being good to us. Listen, they can't sustain themselves under the truth of God's righteousness. He cannot be unfair. He cannot be unjust. Or he would cease being God. James says, God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Listen, if evil comes to you, if a temptation of sin comes to you, that's not God. God might be allowing it. God's got a plan for it. God's going to bring good out of it. He says to Isaiah, I'm going to bring beauty out of ashes. But listen, God can't bring temptation to you. He can't do it. All right, now you're really going to need your fork. You're going to really need your knife. You ready? We're going to go down another level. This is like cave exploration. We've gone down two levels. Let's go down another level in God's righteousness. Let's anchor our minds to it. How many of you have a boat or been in a boat? I have a kayak. My kayak has an anchor system on it, but I don't know how to use it. So I've never used it. It just sits in the back of the kayak. Somebody who knows how to use it, come kayak with me. I got two of them. You can go with me. But we're going to anchor our minds to God's righteousness. Listen, ready? Now hold on to this. If God is to act... In, a, in accordance with his character, then he can never ignore when we act wickedly. Did you hear that? If we sin, God cannot ignore that. He cannot wink. He cannot close his eyes and pretend we didn't do it. He cannot turn his face and hope by the time he looks again that we're done. He can't give you a mulligan in golf, a do-over. Listen, if we sin, God must deal with it. He will punish all sin. For it does not deserve reward. It is wrong and it deserves punishment. Now listen, it would be out of God's holy, perfect character if he ever, even once, gives a pass to sin. Now listen, you should like this. I mean, how would you like to be driving down the road 
and you're going the same speed as the car in front of you, and the police officer pulls you over and not the other person. And he comes up to your window and you say, well, officer, how come you pulled me over? I was the second car. I was just going the same speed as the first car. What's he, what are you going to say? And he says, well, I just felt like pulling you over. That would be unjust. That would be unfair. That would make us feel angry. God never does that. God never gives a pass for sin. Not once has he said of a sinner, listen, you know what? I'm really happy today. I'm in a good mood. I'm going to let that one go. He's never said it. Why? Now listen, sin is intolerable to God. It is the greatest blight against his absolute purity. It is high treason when we sin. God always, without exception, punishes sin. If God did not treat the sinner as he deserves, then God is going to be unrighteous. Now listen. Unless, unless there is another means of punishing sin. You know what the greatest example of of the righteousness of God is? It's the cross of Jesus Christ on which Jesus died to save sinners. Now listen, you've got to hear this. I'm going to give you permission. You don't have to listen to anything in this sermon but this. Because if you miss this, you miss the meat. You miss the transformation that could happen in your life. The cross, listen, the cross brings together God's hatred of sin and his love for sinners. He brings his hatred of sin and his love for sinners where God most clearly acted in perfect accord with his nature. He hates sin. He loves sinners. They came together on the cross like the horizontal and the vertical beams. The Bible says that sin has brought death and that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin and no offer of eternal life with God. Listen, the shedding of blood, that phrase, you know what that means? It means you got to bleed to death. It means to die. I mean, haven't you ever wondered, did they, why did they just take that lamb in the Old Testament, nick, nick the throat of it, take a pint And then put a pressure gauze on it so that the thing doesn't die. And then just splash the blood on the altar. Why did they do that? Why did they take an ancient syringe and pull out of Jesus a pint of blood and throw it on the altar? Then he wouldn't have to die. Listen, there's no atonement in just bleeding. He's got to die. The lamb has to die. But no blood of an animal could take away sin. Someone who has never sinned, who, has, who was entirely innocent, had to die in my place and had to die in your place. And so you've got this righteous God who cannot overlook sin. He sends his willing, perfect, sinless son, Jesus, to die in our place. See, there could be no pass for sin. God's righteousness demanded justice for all people because all people had broken his law. By the way, you know you're a sinner, right? I know I'm a sinner. Is there really anybody here that doesn't believe they've ever sinned? Honestly, even an atheist, the atheist friends that I have met know that they have sinned. 
There could be no pass for sin. God's righteousness demanded justice. Everybody has sinned. He poured out our sin on Jesus. He took all the punishment that we should have had. He took it and he put it on Jesus. Listen, until there was nothing left except for grace and forgiveness to anyone who will believe on him. Listen, if you got a, a gallon jug of wrath that has been stirred up and blackened because of all of our sins... And God takes his perfect, righteous, just wrath and he pours it onto the head of his son. That's how the priests did it. They put their hands on the head of the goats, their hands on the head of the sheep, and they prayed the sins of Israel onto that animal and then they would kill it. God took the bucket of all of our sins and he poured it onto the head of of his son and then he allowed his son, he put his son to death. And guess what? The bucket tips back up and there's not any wrath left. It's been emptied onto the sun. Pretend my my Bible represents Jesus Christ. And Christian brother and sister, listen, I'm I'm only talking to you who have put your faith in Jesus right now. And you are represented by the pencil. Jesus, you. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father takes you and he puts you in Christ and he seals you with the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that could take the pencil out of the Bible. There is no power that could take you out of Jesus Christ. Now his righteousness, remember his righteousness It's the truth that God always acts in accordance with his nature. Now his righteousness guarantees his favor for you. You are in Christ. The way that he looks at Jesus, listen, it's the way that he looks at you. The blessings that he has for Jesus are the blessings he has for you. The innocence that he holds his son Jesus in. He holds you in, Christian brother and sister. The favor and the light of his face that goes and brightens up when he sees Jesus, brightens up when he sees you. You see, the righteousness of God guarantees his favor for you because of what Jesus has done. His blessings are for you. His never-ending mercy is to you. His grace-filled power is in you. It's producing new desires, producing new living, so that you will become righteous like Jesus. Why am I talking about this? That's the gospel. If you're going to look in... And you're going to see the present difficult circumstances that you are struggling through. And you are down deep with God in prayer. You've got to look in with truth. And you've got to bring the gospel to bear to your soul. You've got to grab your soul by your hands and say, this soul is the truth. You're in Christ. And God looks at you the way he looks at his son. See, the Levites proclaim... God's righteous ways. Can you hear this? That is terrible news for anyone who has rejected Jesus. Because now the wrath of the Father will come upon you. But the greatest news that ever has been told 
is that Jesus Christ has died and taken your place. And now righteousness from God is favorable to you. His love and his mercy are yours. Believers, look in. See your present circumstances through the lens of the gospel. Now look at the third principle. And i gotta, I got to move a little quicker because you are not listening fast enough. Here we go. Third principle. Look in with responsibility. Look at verse 34. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers. Listen, you know what that means? Just those few words, you know what that means? It means that sin is like a disease. One generation affects the next. It infects the next. And sin's influence will travel top down. Kings at the top, princes below, priests below, fathers below. Sin goes down the family line and it goes through the family line. It infects generation after generation. In other words, all of God's people and all of us have gone astray. We have acted wickedly, they said in verse 33. See, they're taking responsibility. They're not blaming anybody else. They're recognizing we're caught up in this. We're sinners, just like our kings and princes and priests and fathers. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a righteous God's atonement. Listen, are you caught up in a miserable, joyless life? I know so many people who are. They hate their life. They're unable to change their situation. Listen, as difficult as it may be, look up. See the greatness of God. Look back. Re-examine his faithful, merciful fingerprints that are all through your life. And look in to see that God is not the author of your misery. He is not the author of your struggling. You can find hope in him. So take responsibility for your actions. Connect again to the hope of the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. Go deep with God. Look what Psalm 139 says. Search me, O God. Do you do this when you pray? Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See that there be any grievous, sinful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And listen, if he shows you your sin, you confess it immediately and you then go to the fourth principle, which is this. You look in with truth. You look in with truth. You look in with confidence. You look in with the gospel. You look in with responsibility. Now and finally, the fourth one, you look in with truth. Look at verse 36. And everybody look. Behold, we are slaves this day. Look a little further in. Because of our sins. We are slaves this day because of our sins. They're in great distress. They were an enslaved people. Why? Because of their sins. Now listen, I want to teach you something this morning. Ready? You still got the knife and the fork? You got to hold on to this. If you're going to be a student of God's word, you got to learn this. When you come into the Bible... And you read about slavery, it's almost always pointing to the gospel. Almost always. The people of God in Nehemiah's time, they were crying out for a deliverer. And we are in no different circumstances. Slavery in the Bible points to the strong, imprisoning power of sin. Listen to the Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen to Paul and Titus. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves. We're all been former slaves if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're still a slave to sin. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Now listen, here's what happens. Listen, you got to get this. The moment, the very moment, it's so fast, it's instantaneous. The very moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay for our sins, that very moment you were set free. And you were given untold riches. Listen, usually when you come out of prison, you don't have any money. That's not the way it is with Christ. He brings you out of prison and he says, listen, welcome to your inheritance. You've got unlimited spiritual riches. You know, many years ago, a wealthy master owned a slave. As far as I know, this is a true story. He loved that slave. It was his favorite slave. He treated him with kindness. This was a wealthy, wealthy master. He died and he named that slave, his favorite slave, he named him the inheritor of his entire estate and money. That sounds pretty interesting, right? Now you got to listen to the rest of this. That slave didn't understand his riches. And one day he went to the bank that his master banked at. And he walked in and he went to a teller. And he asked the teller for a loan of 75 cents to buy a bag of rice and a bag of beans so that he could eat for the week. Bank teller called the bank manager, and the bank manager sat down with him. And he said to this, this former slave, do you not understand that your master left everything to you? You are the owner and the possessor of all of his vast riches. Here's what the slave said to the bank manager. I know that, but can I please just get a loan for 75 cents? Do you know how many Christians that story describes? They do not know the riches that they have in Jesus Christ. Do you know who you are in Christ, Christian? Listen, look at me. Listen to this. You've been purchased by Christ. You've been set free to love and to serve Him. You belong to God. You are born of God. There is no power that can take you out of His love. You are a friend of Jesus. You've got a dwelling place in heaven. You are a dwelling place for God through the person of the Holy Spirit. You've been adopted by the Heavenly Father. He's given you the rights of His Son, Jesus. You've been forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. You have all you need in order to be happy and satisfied in life. You've been given eternal life as a gift. You are free from condemnation. You've got direct access to the Father through Jesus. God not only hears your prayers, He loves it when you talk to Him. You're a work of art. God is perfecting you. He's bringing fame to His name. You've not been given a spirit of, of fear, but you've got a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. You're no longer a slave. You're a son. And if you're a 
son, then you're an heir through God. Amen. Do you know that's Amen. you? Do you know that's you, Christian? And when you look in through prayer, now listen, when you look in through prayer, you've got to hold up that mirror of the gospel. This is what the gospel says about you. So you look in with confidence. You look in through the gospel. You look in with responsibility, owning your sins and confessing them to God. And you take your mind captive with the truth of the word of God. You are not who you were. You are now hidden in Christ. And you have overwhelming spiritual riches. Now I want you to hear this. I'm almost done. This is so important. All of those truths about who a believer is in Christ. Can you look at me? Every one of you. They're not yours if you've rejected Jesus. If you have rejected Jesus Christ, friends, listen, you are a slave to sin and you are under the wrath of the righteous God. He always acts in accord with his nature and he is perfectly, without exception, just. Friends, if that is you, listen, believe on the Son of God, the righteous one who died for you. And when you do that very moment, the charges are dropped. God forgives you. And immediately, instantly, forever, you will begin to enjoy incalculable spiritual riches. Can you close your eyes? I'm going to ask you to be courageous. I'm going to ask you to be honest. You know, you know, if you have rejected Jesus, and you know if you put your faith in the Son of God, if you have not yet come to Jesus Christ and asked Him to save you and to forgive you, I am asking you to be courageous. I do not want you to leave here tonight under the penalty of your sins and the wrath of God. Would you raise your hand? If you've not yet asked Jesus to save you, would you raise your hand right now? Be courageous. You've got to raise it high. I want to pray for you. I see that hand. Raise them high. I see that hand. Friends, if that's you, just put your hand up. Let me pray for you. Is there anybody else? I see that one. I saw a hand almost went up. I see that hand. I see that hand. Listen, let me pray for you. And you can pray this prayer in your own heart. There is no magic prayer. There is no formula prayer. If there was, it would be in the Bible for us. There is no prayer that is word for word what you have to pray. Just listen to what I pray for you. And if you want the charges dropped, if you want to be forgiven, if you want eternal life, then you pray in your heart and mean it. 
you say these words to your Father in heaven. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. And you would be righteous and you would be just to put me into hell for eternity. But I don't want that and you don't want that. And you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Heavenly Father, please forgive me. Come live inside me. Take me out of the prison of sin and into spiritual riches. Give me freedom and let me live for your glory. Amen. Would you open your eyes? Listen, Christians, you know who you are in Christ? Do you really know who you are in Christ? Before you leave tonight, I would invite you to make your way over to that chart. Find out all of what you are in Christ and who you are in Christ. It will amaze your mind and give you confidence to reconnect you to the power of God. Amen.